The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above Rise all. up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked chime? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who fall away. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy tyrants. I will defy time. And good morning, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house. And anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty Radio Show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use a Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. And for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, and see the face that's made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and you'll see there's two videos at the top of the screen. Now, we are pre-recording. I never say that until I get to this point because I always... Mess up my intro, okay? So we're live now. I wasn't lying to you. We are really live right now, but we are pre-recording the show. And um, <clears throat> as such, you're going to see images here that won't be there when we air this. So on the left side will be Bradley's show from the previous day. You can click on that and play it up until 3 p.m. Eastern uh, today, at which time he'll be live in that area. And then on the right side is where we are. And that'll probably look a little different, too. Just click on the play button, blow it up on whatever device you've got. And then look in the bottom right-hand corner, and you'll see the Rumble icon. You can click on that and go over to Rumble, and you can join us in the chat on Rumble as well. We're also streaming to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Before it's news.com, top of the page there. DLive.tv at The Sons of Liberty. Uh, also got a renewed Twitter account at The Real Tim Brow. <laughs> Don't put the N in there. And number two. And I sh yes, I should have been paying attention when they substituted, you know, the other. Somebody had The Real Tim Brown. So I guess they're The Real Tim Brown, and I'm. I don't know, second place or whatever. Anyway, we are we are streaming there, and that was the only reason I went on it uh, again because they they said my appeal should be happening on my old Twitter account. Oh, I don't know, within forty eight hours, and that was like three or four months ago. So obviously, Elon Musk and Donald Trump and all those guys that you guys thought was going to be your savior on Twitter that didn't happen. Uh, <clears throat> 
So I'm taking the opportunity to do this. We're also on a few Facebook pages I have as well. Uh, those of you, many of you who come in the chat are on those, and we appreciate your support very much. Now, right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. Get one of those that comes in the evening. All of our contributors, myself, Bradley, and others, and uh, you get that once in the evening. And then if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. You can sign up for that. That's once a week. Uh, exclusive content as far as what goes on in the ministry. Also, if you'd like to help us and stay out there with the message we have, there's a donate button at the top of the page. You can click on that and make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. And uh, we appreciate all of our supporters because we can't do what we do without you. And then our store is available, too. This week, we're highlighting the Sons of Liberty dog tags. You can get these in silver and black. The the images here just don't do them any good. Um they're real high quality metal. They're not like the military kind. They're same size. Uh, so if you've got some of those little silencers you put on there uh, around the dog tag, you can do that if you've got those. Uh, it comes with the chain and everything. Normally $8 a piece. On one side says the Sons of Liberty. The other side says one or First John 3.18. And uh, they're normally $8. This week only through Saturday at midnight, you can get 10% off when you use the promo code LOVE. And that's what First John 3.18 is tied to. Deeds, not words, right? Uh, we love indeed, not just in words. And so if you want to pick those up, that deal's on till Saturday at midnight. Now, <clears throat> we got a, contrib- a contributor to Sons of Liberty Media on this morning, and uh, he's got a new book out. This is the third he's done. It's called A Critical Look at CRT. That's Critical Race Theory in Education, Research, and Social Policy, Exposing the Real Racism in America. And uh, it's my privilege to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, David Rizzolata. Good morning, man. How are you? How's it going, Tim? I'm good. Now, you know, I see you got your toxic masculinity shirt on. And, you know, there's a part of me, Dave, I, I, I wonder if there's if somebody shouldn't combat the toxic femininity that's out there, the real toxic stuff. Uh, and, and, and we, we have, we, somebody can come up with a clever shirt. I don't know. Bethany is doing some Marxist shirts out there. Maybe she can come up with something about real toxic femininity, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's going on. But you got this book. So this is your third, uh, that you've done. And, uh, so tell us what led you to go into critical race theory? Because I know you've written a ton on that and people can find that over on your, your website, defenseofournation.com. But tell us what led you to write a book on this. Well, there's a great awakening across the country to, you know, critical race theory in school. And you have parents showing up to the school board meetings, which I think is fantastic. But I think they're looking in the wrong place. And the reason why I say that is because um, William Tate, who is the president of Louisiana State University and a big critical race theory advocate, big researcher in critical race theory, He stated pretty explicitly that critical race theory is not something for an undergraduate student, but it is for the PhDs and law students to use to examine law and social policy in the United States. So if it's not meant for the undergraduate student, you can pretty much assure that critical race theory um, in the form that I'm discussing it is not being taught in elementary school. And um, this book is pretty, let's see, I cited about 105 to 110 academic papers from critical race researchers in this book. And when, when, when we're talking about critical race theory in education, what people need to understand is that it is a research model being used from a very biased perspective. And these researchers, they admit in their own words that they reject traditional notions of objectivity, which means truth and factual research, of course, in favor of their own subjective viewpoints. And they use this theory to identify um, what's causing, in their view, um, the racial inequality and the inequalities and opportunity and all that that they continually harp on in education. But the key thing to remember is that they admit to rejecting objective research in favor of their own subjective opinions or subjective viewpoints. 
Um, and that's what's what what led me to to dive into this a little bit deeper. Because of course it goes all the way back to when I was a student at Northeastern State University and they told me that I wasn't fit for their field of work because I didn't believe in white privilege and I wouldn't accept my own racism. Um, and what's funny about that, Tim, is uh, one of the papers I cited is called, Will the Real CRT Please Stand Up? And lessons that focus on getting people to think about their own attitudes towards race, these people reject that even. As, as being critical race theory, because again, critical race theory is a research model, not, you know, teaching your first grader about slavery and that America's racist and, and all of that. That's, that's not critical race theory. Those are lessons that are designed to get people to think differently about race. And that's a whole different issue altogether that I have a chapter on in this book as well. So, so let's get let's get this straight because we we covered a lot of, of of these parents who went to their school board meetings and speaking out, and I'm like you, I'm I'm like, yeah, go. But at the same mm -hmm. time, it's kind of like, why do you turn around the next day and send your kids right back into something you know that's toxic to them, uh, that's harmful right. to them? So, so let's distinguish. And I think you did that, but I just want to make sure we're clear. So, what you're seeing in like grade school and such is sort of, I don't know, priming the pump for when hopefully they're going to send them over to higher education to where they're going to get this model. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of like um, chapter two in this book. And you know that this is something that I also talk a lot about, Tim, uh, political coercion or brainwashing, I guess is a word for it, political conditioning, indoctrination. Um, so and by the way, nobody does it better than you do, David. I really believe that. You've got a great way of writing that if people will pay attention to what you write. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to go back again to when I was a student at NSU and we had to write that paper on uh, white privilege. The purpose was to get us to um, examine our own racist attitudes, our own privilege as white people. And then we had to stand in front of the classroom and discuss this. Now, what's interesting, Tim, and this is what I discuss in in Chapter 2, these were methods that were used in in China during the Great Leap Forward or the Cultural Revolution to get people to accept communism. What they what people know about human or what the the scientific elite, the behaviorists, know about human behavior is that guilt and a fear of standing out, a fear of not fitting in. All of these are are great tools to to push people into compliance. So when kids are being taught this stuff at elementary school, okay, they're being conditioned kind of like um, um, operant conditioning. Operant conditioning. They're um, being presented the problem. They're being made. They're they're being convinced to feel guilty about who they are. So so they'll take the correct viewpoint, and and then right then they go from there. And by the time they get into that higher education level where they, they have to write a paper like the one I had to write, they're just going to be naturally conditioned already to go along with that. And that's what I discussed in Chapter 2. Um, so what, what my position is is that at the elementary level, critical race theory serves as a tool for political conditioning. And at the Ph.D. level, it serves as a research model to examine law and social policy in America. Yeah, and both of these are both of these are dangerous. Obviously, it's dangerous Absolutely. to condition a child like that in the first place. But for those who are hearing uh, or those who are listening, when you said it was used in China, now most people in America are going to think, okay, CRT applies to black and white. Can you explain to people how that would differentiate? But in China, I mean, what are what? Because I know there are several different lang kinds of language in China that's Chinese. Uh, but right. there's other things like that. How are, how did they do it in China? Well, what I'm saying is that the Chinese had refined. What I'm talking about is the the brainwashing method, the indoctrination method. Okay, got and, it. And the Chinese had perfected that. You know, there's several books that I cited in here: uh, "Battle for the Mind," "Communism in China," um, "The Rape of the Mind." All of these books talk about political coercion. Uh, political indoctrination, and it it goes all the way back to um, Pavlov, Tim, and what a lot of people don't realize when it comes to Pavlov, um, his 
experiments that he did on the dogs, you know, of course they were applied to human beings and, and it was those experiments that set the standard for behavioral research into people, people's behavior, into human behavior. So in other words, all human behavior is studied first from the perspective of Pavlov. Okay. And then from there, of course, B.F. Skinner picked it up and went with operant conditioning where um, environmental manipulations can control and shape people's behavior. So essentially what you have going on in elementary school or even at the at the um, undergraduate level is, yep, America's racist. And, and, and if you don't come along with what it is that we're saying, we're going to socially isolate you and humiliate you and make you afraid to speak out. So at the very least, you'll just sit there and be quiet and not have anything to say about it. But of course, at the elementary level, the kids are afraid because they want to make sure they have friends and they, they don't want to stand out and be different from the crowd. You know, and that that's what's going on at the elementary level. Well, that same kind of conditioning is happening with the whole LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ stuff with our kids, too. And that, yeah, again, it's, it's all the same, man. Yep. The LGBT is the same. It comes from the same principles. Let's go back all the way up to the 1930s when critical theory and Max Horkemeyer and all of them brought critical theory to the United States. And it was that critical theory that was brought to the United States that led to the sexual revolution in the 1960s and all that. All of this comes from that critical theory. That's where it all comes from. Okay. All right. So, so the so again, let's let's make sure that that parents understand this who may be listening to the show, who are against you know this this racial thing being put on their kids, but they have to understand it's not just race. There's a there's a whatever they want to push, they're going to do. Now, David, you're a Christian, and <clears throat> you're one who would believe what the Bible says that we're not to fear man, we're to fear God, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. We're to fear Him, not man. And you were talking about this before. They start with the kids. They start conditioning them to fear taking a stand on what presumably Christians are supposed to do. Deuteronomy 6, we talk about this with Lynn every Wednesday, that parents are to teach their kids diligently the law of God. And Jesus said that he prayed to the Father that his people, the ones for whom he gave his life for, for the sheep, and we talked about this several weeks back, but he prayed that they would be one and they would be sanctified by the truth. And he says, thy word is truth. So what they're trying to condition the kids to is to say, no, that's not really the truth. We're going to tell you what the truth because we're an authority. And because you're little people with little impressionable minds, we're going to mold your minds to the way we want, not like the way your mom and daddy want. That's the way communists have been doing it for, for decades. Um, should parents be more concerned that... Not just they hear CRT or the buzzwords, the LGBT, but they, they it's everything that's coming in through the indoctrination centers we call public school, isn't it? Yes, yes. See, what, what, what a lot of people don't understand is that critical theory itself, like you can ban, and this is one of my, my the main points I make over and over, is you can ban teachers in elementary school from teaching race-based lessons, you know, stuff like that, but you can't ban the researchers going in and looking at everything from a critical theory perspective. Critical theory itself was founded as a means of critiquing um, society itself. And of course, critical theory comes from the Marxists. So anything that doesn't go along with the Marxist point of view is is considered oppression. You know, so that's what critical theory was all about. It was about um, critiquing society to end what they viewed as oppression and, and to uh, and to, um, you know, provide unlimited uh, freedom for man is what is the way they describe it, which, of course, from their perspective, you know, the whole LGBTQ thing, that's unlimited freedom from their perspective. You know, the um, the traditional gender roles that that, you know, male and female, the, the what they call the, the binary, that's oppression to them. You know, so critical theory is all about removing that, critiquing that, criticizing that in, in order to um, lead man on a more free path. That's the critical theory perspective. And there's nothing that nothing that you can ban 
that's going to stop them from critiquing society. I mean, you have to look at it this way. Critical theory, critical race theory, critical legal studies. All of this is the culmination, okay, not the beginning of a, a Marxist agenda that was implemented, you know, over 100 years ago in this country. You know, that's... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back just a little bit. Uh, you were mentioning some names at the beginning. Where did all this start? You, you're saying it's a Marxist agenda. Who Who is the guys who, who sort of formulated it? How did they start putting it into practice? I mean, what, what were the steps that they found that they put it into practice? And then let's move forward to the present. Well, so critical theory started at the Frankfurt School of social research by the Marxists, and they were criticizing, they were researching the National Socialist agenda of uh, Adolf Hitler. And then, of course, um, they got drove out. So then they, they came to Columbia University, where they started criticizing American um, you know, capitalism, American democracy. And that, that it was their theories and, and their critical perspectives on our traditional values, Christianity, to be more specific, that led to the sexual revolution. And then, of course, the sexual revolution, we had the feminist movement. You know, Betty Friedan was a member of the Communist Party. She criticized the, the traditional marriage, you know, tried to convince women around, around the country that they were oppressed victims of the male patriarchy, you know, um, and so, so then taking that, um, Darrell, who was a PhD, he was a, a law scholar. Um, he came up with something called critical legal theories, where he began examining the law. The whole basis of critical race theory pretty much works on, on their belief that the civil rights movement didn't go far enough in addressing um, the, the the racial the systemic inequalities of course that's what they call it um in in our in our legal system and they believe that any reforms that were made were only made because they benefited white people um and so that brings us up to where we are today you know okay um, antonio Gramsci is a big one if you look at it um the critical race theorists they cite Antonio Gramsci as being one of their influences as well. And of course, he came up with that theory called the uh, counter hegemony, um, where he broke, he broke all these different members of society down into their own little oppressed groups. So it was no longer because the, the Marxist theory of pitting the rich against the poor failed. That, that didn't bring about their grand utopia that they wanted. So then Antonio Gramsci picked up and he, he created all these little oppressed groups in America, whose whose number one claim to oppression was the the dominant culture of I you know white white supremacy is you know of course that's what they're calling it now but that's the dominant culture that's oppressing all these other individual groups and uh, that's where we are today. Now, David, let me ask you this: let's let's just be honest with what goes on here. We know the heart of man is wicked. Man is not basically good. He's basically evil. He's basically wicked. And this is why we need a Savior from our wickedness, our evil, our sinfulness, the Lord Jesus. Okay? I think we agree on that. And the question I would have is, are there people out there in American culture who are racists? And are there sure. people out there who seek to oppress other people? I think we would say, yes, there are some people who are like that, right? Mm -hmm. But I can speak for myself, and I can only speak for myself. I don't view the world through that lens at all. I, you know, I believe that all men are endowed with their with rights by the Creator, not just Americans either. When we say all men, all men, they're made in the image of God. They have rights. Doesn't matter if they live here, China, whatever. They have God-given rights. They're being oppressed by their governments. Uh, in most mm -hmm. cases, that's what's going on. So when we when we deal with this, some people will pick. You know, this guy over here, or that guy over here, sometimes we have these uh, stories about cops who are acting, behaving badly, let me say it that way. And they'll say, oh, well, it was a bunch of white cops and they were doing it to a black guy. But if it's black cops doing it to a white guy, they don't see it the same way. And so 
it's not really an issue of what color skin you have or what shade of skin, I should say, because we all got the same color. It's just a different shade of melanin that we have going on in our skin. And the Bible says that God has created us from one blood, all the nations, and he set the boundaries of their habitat. So here in, here in the States, yeah, it may be largely what they call white, and I've held up a piece of paper before. I'm not white. I'm not I'm not white. <laughs> I'm some other color. Uh, and a black man is not black. I mean, we can look at uh, the black that's on the screen before us. I don't know of a black man who's that color. And so they they do do it to break down the people. And do you think that they're doing that so that when they divide the people, it's easier to control them? Is that really the the method of what they're doing? It isn't about freeing them. It's actually about caging them, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's actually very interesting. Of course, there's the whole divide and conquer viewpoint on that. But when you when you dive really deep, there's two different perspectives to look at this from. And of course, I always touch on the conspiracy theory side of everything too. These CRT scholars they think segregation or the end of segregation rather um, led to a lot of the problems that we have now, or what they identify as problems that that they think exist. Um, but of course, when you look at the the other side of it, there was the um, Manning Johnson who wrote the book Color, Communism, and Common Sense. And I mentioned this a couple times um, in this book. I really tried to keep everything factual, and all the citations mostly are from academic papers and all that, um, the actual words of the researchers. But Manning Johnson wrote in the 1950s Color, Communism, and Common Sense, where where he claimed to be a black member of the Communist Party. And, and he talks about how he was sent in. His job was to create racial discord, you know, and, and to, to convince the black community in America that the whites were out to get him, that nothing, that everything was the white man's fault and, and taught him to be jealous of other ethnic groups that were successful in America, um, taught him to ignore all the opportunities around him. And, and it's funny because the deeper you dive into critical race theory, they're really working to convince to convince minorities in America that there isn't any opportunity, that any opportunity that presents itself is nothing but a white social construct. Meritocracy is a white social construct. Achievement is a white social construct. And, uh, you know, so there's a point where the two merge, you know, the, the conspiracy side in, in reality, you know, you have to take it into consideration. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny about that is it's kind of easily dismissed, isn't it? I would think. I mean, most of us could point to, mm -hmm. let's take sports, for instance. Who are the major figures in sports? Are they people with my color of skin? Or are they somebody with somebody darker who, who actually achieve and who, who actually are getting paid big money and all this other? I mean, usually that's the way that works. In some mm -hmm. business aspects, yeah, I would say... There's probably people with my kind of skin color who probably do better than others. And yet, we find people like, I don't know, Ben Carson. Here's a brain surgeon. I mean, did the color of his skin stop him from... And then he served in the uh, in, in D.C. Uh, in the, in, I think it was in the Trump administration. He served there. So we have... And I can point to all kinds of people, no matter what their skin color, that they did well. So here's here's what really bothers me, David. How did they get white... I hate to even use that term. How do they get people with my skin color to buy into the thing and be shamed to the point we saw, gosh, what was that guy's name? He was a preacher or something, and he goes to another Christian who's who's a dark-skinned guy, he's a rapper, who should know better and should have told him to knock that out, as far as I'm concerned, and wanted to wipe his clean shoes as though he was washing his feet. How did they get... How do they get people to buy into that? That's just, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. I have an answer for you, Tim. Okay. <laughs> it goes back to what you were talking about a little while ago. You know, you, you have people in this country that believe in God and are, and are Christians and, and look at humanity from a, from a standpoint of equality, you know, from God's point of view, being created equal under under God's law, right? And then you have Darwinists that don't believe in God, you know, and, and those 
are the people that don't believe that people are equal, you know, believing in evolution, you know, like uh, some of the stuff I cited in the book discussing this topic, there, there are people that go back to our, to our founding that believe that, that blacks couldn't live in a free society. Okay. They believe that, that black people weren't equal with whites and all that. But if you look at who they were, they they were Darwinists. One of the main people that put forth this theory was a cousin of Charles Darwin's. You know, so um, in my opinion, that explains a lot of what you're you're trying. I mean, you have to be racist in the first place to to accept some of the tenets of critical race theory because the the whole critical race theory itself is almost justifying keeping keeping black people at a level lower because they're they're not as capable of competing in in this society sure and and you know i go back you were you were making mention of those uh early on in american history or i shouldn't say early on <clears throat> but at least in the 1800s that we see and many of them had been they had been you know the truth hasn't been told about their capture and stuff that they were captured by their own countrymen then they were sold mm -hmm. to the white the white man, <laughs> and mm -hmm. then the white man brings it over. And by the way, there were no slave ships from the South. They were all from the North. And so many of the Southerners, many of them actually wanted to give these people the gospel, and many of them benefited from that. Now, that's not to say some of the slave owners didn't treat their slaves bad, but the fact of the matter is, look, if you go out and you buy a brand new John Deere tractor, you're not going to go out there and beat it and kick the tires and everything else. You're going to take good care of that thing because you paid money for it and you want it, you want it to work and serve you well. And so a lot of the stuff we get from, like, roots and everything else is just, it's a, it's a distortion of the truth, especially when you go back and you see what had taken place there. Now, I think, David, there's something to be said about that time frame. I don't know what you would say to it, but I'm kind of curious. When you look to the Scripture and the Israelites took in captives, one of the things they were to do is they were to release those people after seven years. And it wasn't that they were slave-driving them and all this kind of thing. It was they didn't have, they had destroyed their cities in the wars. They brought them in to take care of them. They fed them. They taught them the law of God. They taught them how the society worked that they were in. And then in that seventh year, they were to free them, but they had to educate them to live in that society first. And I think a lot of that was going on in the South. There were many people who wanted to let a lot of the slaves go. And um, they knew if they let them go, they were just going to be hunted down, and they were going to be killed, or they were going to be put back on the slave market and sold off again. Do you think that that's something that people are missing in the history, that many of the people uh, at that time, they might have liked being captured by their own people and sold off, and I can't imagine what that would be like. But in the end, they saw God's hand in the midst of it. I've heard some of the testimony. I've read some of the testimonies of some of the slaves. They fought in the War of Northern Aggression and such. Do you think people are missing that part of history, and maybe that little bit of history might help them unlock this brainwashing that's coming on them through critical race theory? Yeah, well, certainly. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff that people are missing. You know, research and study and all that takes time. I'm not really a historian so much. I touched on this stuff a little bit. Um, but it certainly takes time to look at this. Um, Cleon Skousen said in The Naked Communist in the 1950s, he said, if you don't study the problem and if you don't take the time to research, you're not going to fix it. You know, In other words, fighting Marxism requires scholarship and it requires study and it requires artic you know developing an articulate argument to counteract what what these people are arguing and i think there is a point in history where you know i i, I think the argument goes like this that uh you know they thomas jefferson for example realized that you know we just wrote this constitution where we said that all men are created equal well that's really what led to the uh, slaves being free had that constitution not been written with those words who knows what would have happened after that and i know that uh, mark levin had had mentioned one time i used to listen to him a lot not so much anymore but he had mentioned something about the three-fifths compromise being written to to limit the number of uh, slaves that 
uh, slave owning states could have. So that that led to the freedom um, to the elimination of slavery, from what I understand. Um, so there's certainly a lot more to it than that a lot of people don't know for sure. Okay. All right. And yeah, I'm, you know, I think of other, other places in scripture that talks about study to show yourself approved unto God. You were talking about this, this idea of understanding history and stuff. If we don't know where we've been, we can't know where we're going. We can't even know why we're here in the first place of what, what's going on. Um, you know, a lot of people think, oh, we're here because Barack Obama was in office, or we're here because George W. Bush is in office and it's 9-11. That may be the latest thing that comes along. But there's a long line of stuff that's happened over the past, what, at least 170 years here in this mm-hmm. country that has has molded and shaped our present and is moving to shape our future unless we get busy about understanding why we're here. And instead of telling, you know, I often say in the WWE of politics, telling the better your mama joke, we actually understand what the underlying problems are and confront those things and seek to help people get out of the matrix, for lack of a better term, the system they've been born into, they've been indoctrinated into, and to help them repent of that and to see the world as God has presented it. Yeah, um, one thing that you said there, Tim, um, about the future, uh, where we're going in the future. So a lot of people are familiar with the Great Reset and this big welfare state that they want to create. Well, I'm going to tell you, um, the, the critical race research are hard at work writing papers doing research and all this and they're they're arguing that the only way to create to to reach a place of racial justice is the destruction of capitalism and the creation of this welfare state that we're rapidly heading towards um with this great this great reset and all that um so they are very influential in this, uh, it's this, t- it's this topic of racism that's driving a lot of this stuff. And I don't think people realize that. I think people hear critical race theory and the first thing they think is, you know, their first grader being taught, um, something that, that they don't agree with. And it isn't. It's way deeper than that. And it's a lot more dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we, we see it. As sort of the primer, we talked about this before, we see it as sort of the primer that's happening in the grade schools or the elementary schools or even in kindergarten in some cases. Uh, and But you say the main cause or the main focus is as these kids become adults and they get into the higher learning. And I, boy, I got to tell you, I question a lot of that stuff because I know people who haven't been to college who are a lot smarter and a lot wiser than a lot of people who have. And yeah. um and, and they're they're that because in many cases they've given themselves to the scripture. I've done a show where we talked about the education process in early America, where they basically had, you know, the Bible. The Bible was read at breakfast, it was read in the evening, and their literacy rate was literally higher than the cities in London, in the rural areas. And the cities in America, it was higher than that. And so they gave themselves to the Word of God, and and God said He would bless His people. And I think that includes knowledge, understanding, rationalizing, reasoning, all of this kind of stuff. I think He blesses His people in that area. Now, some of us, and I claim one of those, have a little ways to go in some things, but I think there is something that God blesses in that. What can people do? Uh, Because we don't want to leave people out in this hole to where, okay, all this bad stuff is coming in. What would be some suggestions that you would give to parents or people who aren't even parents? Maybe they're they're grandparents or they don't have children or whatever the case is. Maybe they're single. What would some some instruction you would give them to be on the lookout for and to prepare in how they would address something, maybe at a local school board, maybe at a college or wherever they need to do that where they see this kind of thing creeping out? Well, they need to be more involved. The first thing they can't do is just go um, say their piece at a school board meeting and think that anything's going to change. You know, the first thing they got to do is they got to keep pushing beyond that. And they got to start looking at um, who's writing the policy, who's behind the schools, what what's the viewpoint um, that's pushing the policies. Um, don't look at the lessons Look at the policies. Look for what the researchers are looking for 
in that area because that's what critical race theory is. The, the, the critical race researchers are behind this for ways to prove that your school is racist. That's what it is. They are looking for ways from their own admission. They, you know, they say they have something that they call the race first philosophy. They, uh, they reject objectivity in favor of subjectivity. So you have, you have to look for that. Uh, and, and, and that's quite a task in and of itself because sometimes getting past that school board, uh, my kids aren't even in school anymore. Uh, so that's one thing that I'm thankful for. Um, so that's one thing though, is you have to look for what, what are the researchers researching? in the school okay all right now how does this work because it seems like everything is geared toward the quote-unquote caucasian the white guy uh even though it it's it's interesting because i've seen the whole quote unquote racism concept used by those who aren't again quote unquote white so are, are, is anybody not thinking through the fact that one day this may get flipped on its head and it'll be the black man that's targeted, it'll be the Latino that's targeted, it'll be the Chinese that's targeted, or the Asian, I should say, or, or, or no. somebody else? No. Is nobody looking at that, that it'll eventually get flipped on them in much the, in much the same way communists do everything else anyway? No. And the reason for that is because <clears throat> you got to remember, this is marxism okay and what did marx say in the communist manifesto what was one of the biggest goals of marxism the abolition of capitalism and the abolition of private property right and so what's interesting is at the end of one of the chapters and, and i apologize i can't remember the individual's name but i quoted somebody who said that one of their intentions is to one create what we've created what white people have created for their own self which in all reality there's nothing wrong with that but i related that related that to the uh, marxist thing and then in that other paper that i quoted the one uh, called will the real crt please stand up the writer of that paper admits that the only way to eradicate racism in america is to deconstruct whiteness okay and from from critical race theory there's a whole chapter that i wrote called examining critical white studies so there's a whole academic field of, of critical white studies where they go in and they ex examine what whiteness is and and the ownership of private property is one of the biggest things that they attach to white white people as an oppressor okay and uh and it goes all the way back to when white people own slaves and they they argue that because white people own slaves the laws that formed around the idea of property ship were all created around the idea of one human being creating another that's why or owning another and that's why when you hear something as asinine as um, owning property being racist, that's where that whole idea comes from. And that's an example of how these researchers look into things. You know, when I say that they reject objectivity, I'm not kidding. They reject it and, and they favor their own subjective views. And uh, they have one of the other tenets of critical race theory, Tim, is called counter storytelling. Okay. And so instead of taking, instead of taking what we know to be historical fact, okay, they'll favor the opinions of, of people that have a story to tell about that time period that has been passed down through their generations, um, because they'll argue that the reality of what is recorded wasn't recorded and the only place that you can get that reality is through these stories from people that experienced racism you know so as you go on and on and on you keep teaching people that they're victims of racism of course everything that they've got to tell is going to be influenced by this belief that they're victims you know so that's just how subjective all of this research is it's it's all subjective and and they admit it so I think that's one thing that you can 
throw at them if you're into if you're in a discussion with them you know if you can find that's why i, I everything in this book is cited you know if, if i cited something where they admit that this is subjective research there's a number and the paper i got it from is at the end of the book you know that's what i wrote it for so people have an argument so david let's let's let me see if i'm understanding something you're saying they're targeting the issue of property and they're pointing back to this issue that well white men held uh, black men as as property in this country but they don't tell people that black men also held white men as property too and you can go throughout the world and you can find all kinds of dominance you can find you know one of the movies that i highly rec recommend to people not with your kids just due to the language but to end all wars and you see there the japanese thought they were superior to the white man and so mm -hmm. they they gave their allegiance to the the emperor and they treated the white man like he was a dog um, mm -hmm. So, so it doesn't matter whether we're here or not. But if they're pushing on property, and they're saying, "Well, we should abolish this for this, that, and the other," well, then what does that say for? I don't know the black man, the Latino, the the Asian, or whoever who wants to own property here in the states. Are they saying you shouldn't have property either? Is that what they're saying? The only government should have property, or or what are they pushing on? Yeah, yes, they're really they're really trying to create the impression that everything that has to and of course again remember you're talking about people that are admitted marxist scholars that's the first thing you have to remember one of the books i picked up intro to critical race theory um that this book is made up of marxist scholars that's their words so yeah they're really trying to create the impression that capitalism and property ownership and and it's not even property it's just anything is considered property even tim even our rights that are listed in the bill of rights are considered um property that can that that was defined by the fact that one white man owned a black man that's why they think that the the rights that we have doesn't apply to them because they think the whole society was built off of that that notion the idea that one man could build could own another and you have to read these words for yourself that's and, just incredible uh, i let me let me throw something in how can they say that when they use the very rights that are that are said there that are to be protected we don't have constitutional rights we have god-given rights they're supposed to be constitutionally protected and these right. people who are pushing this stuff are using those very rights to say those rights don't apply to you because some white guy did it right yeah, exactly. yeah and you know there's a reason why i called the book um a critical look at crt and education research and social policy because i i did a chapter on on their mindset and the research i did a couple on social policy issues and and one i'd like to hit on here is affirmative action you know and um in a couple states across the country, they had it. They had it on their ballots to eliminate the racial preference quotas in a lot of the universities, and and the critical race scholars are arguing that that prohibits or that um, eliminates any real opportunity that 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 minorities can have in college by eliminating those racial preference quotas. They call it they they call the elimination of those quotas the new racial preference, and this is what it comes down to, Tim. And I'm telling you this because it, it exemplifies the viewpoint and the research mindset that these people have and how critical theorists and Marxists can twist anything and get it on paper and make it look official, okay? Um, they, they focus on what is known as the personal statement when you apply for a college, um, for, for college at a higher university. And they're, they're arguing that when you can't list your race on that personal statement then it's going to be assumed by the person reading it that you're white and any challenge that you any challenge that you have faced in life any challenging circumstances that you've had to overcome if that if your race is not mentioned will not make any sense this is their words 
will not make any sense to the person reading it because it's going to be assumed that you're white. So what they're saying right there is that the only people that face any real challenges in this country are minorities and that white people don't. And then it goes all the way back to when my professor told me that I wasn't fit for the social work program because I didn't believe in my white privilege. I said, well, I didn't grow up in a privileged lifestyle. And she said to me, well, you're the exception. And they really, they really believe this, you know, and that's that, that's the bias. That's the, the mentality that's driving their research. And, and, and something else I mentioned in another chapter on mathematics, they have white people and minorities broken down into different learning categories. You know, like they, they say that black students have a field dependent learning style, which means, and, and they try to attribute qualities like um, group learning and all of this kind of stuff to their field dependent learning style while they call the field independent learning style. I, I know this seems like I'm going off on a tangent here, but they, they call the field independent learning style, which they ascribe to white people, the social construct because it focuses on individual achievement. So the whole idea that individual achievement is something that should be valued in school is brushed aside as a social construct, and they're, they want to teach the minorities that they have a field-dependent learning style and that group learning and group projects and, and all of this stuff is, is superior to individual learning. Yeah, so they're they're basically yeah they're basically building up a us versus them kind of thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah I mean, they're the setting us time. up for a civil war. Is what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I hope people understand that, David. I think this is why, as believers, we have to be those who are known for interacting with all kinds of people. If that means inviting right. them over for the, you know, I got, there is a quote-unquote black community up the road from me. Everybody I've met from there, for the most part, have been just great people. Same values, same culture. Why? They grew up in the South here. You know, their mm -hmm. ancestors were taught by, you know, people who were slave owners and, and such. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind they were. And they had been given the gospel, and they've been blessed as a result. I'm not, I'm not sitting here advocating for slavery. That's not what I'm saying. But God in His providence used that to bless their ancestors, and as a result, bless them. And I've had, I can't tell you how many people that I've interacted with here in just in my area, we have the same values. We might have different skin color, our hair looks different, and all the facial features and all this other, and yet we have the same values because we're in the same culture. And so culture yeah. is the issue. It's not race. If you have a right. culture that clashes with one another, that's one thing. That's not dependent upon the person made in the image of God. And I think that's where they're taking something that, you know, the Bible says we're all of one blood. I mentioned that before in Acts 17, 26. But um, they're taking something that's really a cultural issue and trying to make it something about our skin. And I played the sneeches uh, from Dr. Seuss the other week. Some people had never seen that. That's exactly what I see them doing. And they're profiting off of the, the war they're creating here. Uh, so it's a really, uh, it's, a, it's a big problem. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the show here, David. And I don't know if you need some more time. We'll go over if you need some more time. You want to you wanna go into this a little more. It's up to you. Well, we can. It don't matter either way. But um, one thing to kind of touch on what you just got done talking about that, that people need to understand, and this is something that I discussed in my last book, Without a Shot Indeed, in great detail. We are viewed as human beings through the prism of various research models, man, scientific models. And, and B.F. Skinner said it best. And B.F. Skinner, you know, worked built, built up off of what Pavlov did. David, hold, hold, hold that thought because we're out of time here. Let's carry it over on the other side. Guys, if you want to follow the interview, go to sonsoflibertymedia.com. We'll be there. Before it's news.com, top of the page, dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. Don't forget to check out David's site, defenseofournation.com, defenseofournation.com, and his book. You can find it on Amazon. We'll have the link in the archive, and we'll talk to you in the morning, Lord willing, 6 a.m. See you. All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And David, didn't mean to cut you off. We we're just out of time there. Uh, why don't you go ahead and finish with uh, your quote from uh, Skinner there? Yeah. So, in Beyond Freedom and Dignity, he pretty much laid it out like this. He said, "There's two 
scientific views from which they conduct human behavior. One is the pre-scientific view, and the other is the scientific view. And the way he describes this is the pre-scientific view is a time when it was believed that human beings were rational and, and responsible for their own thought processes and could make their own decisions. And the scientific view is is based on on what has been discovered about behavior from Pavlov to Skinner. And that's the belief that human beings can very much be um, stimulus response mechanisms. Our behaviors can be shaped through the environmental controls and so forth and so on. And so it's important to understand that when we're talking about studies of human behavior, it is being done from that perspective. Okay, so they, the, these people that are pushing just socialism on us, okay, you know, let alone critical race theory and all that, just, just Marxism in general, they're doing it from the perspective that, that we can't formulate our own thoughts and that we're just going to respond and our responses are used. They study our responses and then they continue to go from there. And, and the COVID-19 pandemic was a perfect example of this, man. How we responded to the media and how we responded to all the fear tactics was studied, and it will certainly be built upon in the future. Yep, Do you I, know what I'm saying? Yep, I couldn't agree more. In fact, I was thinking of uh, now they're pushing you know, the Great Reset and Klaus Schwab, and then the guy that he has is his sort of advisor, this sodomite, just psychopath uh noah harari and him talking about wanting to hack people uh yeah, hack, yeah, their, hack their minds i'm thinking of the same thing this is like that noah is the next step in this whole thing of what you're talking about they don't want to just control you with manipulation they want to actually control you they want you hooked up like they do a little beetle and make your legs and arms go and your eyes go where they want and you say what you want to say that's where they want to go with things yeah for sure it's pretty scary. So, you know, that's when you're looking at race theory, they really believe that they can condition one part of the population to, you know, to believe that they're victims. And, and the, obviously they're, they're conditioning the other part of the population to believe that they're, that they're responsible for it. How many kids do you come across that are in college these days that just have this automatic response of, um, yeah, America's racist? You know, they can't tell you, you know, what the 4th of July means or they can't tell you, you know, what the, 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 the birthday of the country is or anything like that. But they certainly can respond with, yeah, America's a racist country, you know, and and they've been at this for a long time and they know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, this is why we encourage parents to take the responsibility God's given them. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 10. Read that if you're not familiar with it. Take that responsibility of teaching your own children instead of sending them off into indoctrination centers. And if you are yeah. doing that and you're able to pull them out, get them out. Do it whatever the cost is. And I know, you know, David, I've spoken about this before. There are many families. You got single parents. You got, uh, you know, poverty stricken families and stuff. And the church should be the ones coming alongside them, realizing that they're investing in the future and helping those yeah. parents to educate their kids. And I'm talking about educate, teach them to think. Uh, you know, put forth the truth of history and the scriptures and these kinds of things, but teach them to think about things that they're told so that they can they can fight against these things on their own. If they don't do that, they're going to end up being in this same kind of thing, what you're talking about, where they're being primed. And then even if they don't go to college, they've already they've already been primed. They've already had that put into their minds that somehow Everybody who's not their skin color is somehow racist against them, and that they're if they fail in life, or it's somebody else's fault rather than their their own. And you know, I can point to numerous stories within scriptures, like uh, Joseph, for instance. Uh, he goes down into Egypt, and you know, he's been he's been sold out by his brothers, so he's been sold out by his own race, if you will, his own culture, right, his own family, his own blood, and yet he goes down there to a foreign people. And he is done dirty by them, too. It has nothing to do with people's skin color. It has to do with the heart of man. And the heart of man needs uh, the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. They need the gospel. And they need the Savior that saves them. Because CRT is nothing but sin. I mean, it is a sinfulness of man being expressed. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah. Um, one last thing that I want to say 
and I'll go ahead and let you go. Um, people want to see solutions, you know, so the end of the chapter, I talked about some solutions, but what people have to understand when it comes to solutions, Tim, and I'm, and I'm going to go back and I'm going to cite, um, Solitzen. Um, I think it was in new lives for old or the perestroika deception. And one of those two books, he described the communist strategy as being very long term in, in, in its objectives, you know, very patient, very planning. Whereas in the American, um, strategy, planning was very short term okay so you have to understand going into this that these people are organized they've been organizing for the past 100 years this all started with the idea of fabian socialism socialism by vote incremental steps one step at a time so when you're talking about solutions you're not going to come up with one today you know that's going to work and it's just my opinion that, you know, America's a great country, man, and we all have the right to pursue our own dreams and pursue what makes us happy and, and our ambitions and whatnot. However, these people's ambitions is to transform the country into something that we don't want. That's what their ambition is, you know, and they've been working at it a long time. So we have to, to some degree, abandon our ambitions for great wealth and all of that and become the teachers become the social workers become the people that have the influence on the generation of tomorrow because right now they're the ones that have it and we have to understand that any real change that we can make might take a hundred years to do it just like it took them a hundred years to get where we're at right now you know and uh, as, as discouraging as that sounds, that's probably one of the most realistic solutions that I can come with, that I can come up with. No, I, I think that's exactly the, the kind of solution that we need, is people to see the long term. Because everybody wants a silver bullet, David. They want to they fire the silver bullet, and they want everything to be magically fixed, and it's not going to be that way. I point back mm -hmm. to a, a great book. I highly recommend it for people. I know it's going to take some people's breath away, but I highly recommend it. It's called The Search for God in Guinness, A Biography of the Beer That Changed the World. And the reason I, I, I offer that is in light of what you said, David, this is the long-term thing. Arthur Guinness, do you know what he do you know what his first lease was that he signed when he established his beer company? I think it was like 7,000 years. Okay? And the reason was was because he had a a a view of Christ as king and him establishing his kingdom and subduing his enemies. That's what he saw. Okay? And some people say, well, he couldn't do that with beer. Well, you need to get out of that mindset of, of what you've been indoctrinated with because go back and read some of your, uh, some of the early settlers here. One of the first things they did when they got here was they established a brewery because the water wasn't fit to drink. And so the brewery cut out all of the bacteria and bad stuff in the water so they could have something to drink. Now, here's the thing. In doing that, I think he shows us exactly what you're talking about. If we're going to see change, it's not going to come overnight, but we'll never get there if we don't start, right? Absolutely. Got to start somewhere. Absolutely. And, you know, that's why um, I certainly don't believe in being quiet. This, this battle started for me back in NSU when I stood up and refused to let them call me a racist, you know, and... and one of the things that bothered me back then is that there was other people in the class that agreed with me. And, you know, and you, you know, my story pretty well, Tim, you know, that I went on to OSU to get a master's in social work and that I was denied that degree and everything. Um, well, when I was in one of the classes at in the university of Oklahoma, we were watching a little video of Obamacare and there was a little depiction of an uncle Sam guy running around taking money from one group of people and then running it over here and giving it to another group so they could have health care. And I was flabbergasted, you know, and I was getting ready to, to say something about it. And the, and the people behind me, the woman behind me, um, she's like, David, shh, don't just shh, shh. You know, so what you have is, is this, environment in the college classrooms where people are afraid to speak out and they always say well 
you have to wait until you graduate and get out into the field, then you can make real change. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. If you're not willing to take a stand in a place like the university where there's less at stake than what there is in the real world, you're not going to take a stand that's in the right. real world. You know, and and that that's where this battle started for me, and I'm not going to shut up about it. The um the the recent book that I just wrote, um, and the one before it, the two before it, um, that that is me, um, pushing my voice out there. And like I said, there's a hundred, there's over a hundred academic papers cited in this book, and it, it's my hope that that people will, will will read those papers and understand my point that you you're not going to you're not going to fix this by focusing on elementary education man it's the higher academia scholars that hate america from the get go that are using a sore spot in america's history along with with you know the marxist ideology to push this on our country you know, and yep. I think you're exactly right. I think they're they're deliberately trying to create as much chaos, confusion, and hate that they can. Well, and, Dave, and just so people understand, the the papers that you're citing, these academic papers, they're not people in opposition to CRT. They're people who are pushing CRT. So he's using right. their own words against them. David, why don't right. you tell people where they can get your book and where they can find out more about you? Well, right now the book is available as an ebook. I have a um, a designer working on a cover for a paperback because I know some people like to have the book in hand. I mean, that's available at Amazon.com. And then uh, my website is defenseofournation.com. And, and after my vacation is over, I'm going to start writing a series of articles on critical race theory that can relate back to the book. And, and then I'll be sending those your way also. Okay. All right, David Rizzolata, and be sure to check out uh, David's book. You can get it at Amazon, A Critical Look at CRT in Education, Research, and Social Policy, Exposing the Real Racism in America. Again, you can get that in Kindle form. He's working on a paperback uh, version, but you can get it in Kindle form now. And if you, if you don't have a Kindle, they have a program. So if you've got a computer, if you've got a uh, Android phone, you've got an Apple phone, any of these kind of things, you can get the Kindle program there. You can read it. Uh, in your uh, on your phone or your your computer, so don't worry about that. You can still do that, and then don't forget defenseofournation.com. That's where you can read David Rizal, and he also contributes over at sonsoflibertymedia.com. And David, we appreciate uh, we're appreciative of you and for your fight there. You're right in the heartland, and you're putting all this out. And I'm hoping that people get it because sometimes. You know, some of this stuff takes some time to go through, and it takes some time to formulate your thoughts in, and then. You know, fix a, a plan of attack, if you will. So, Dave, if you'll hang on, I'll say goodbye to you off air. Catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com. And Lord willing, we'll be back in you, with you in the morning, 6 a.m., bright and early. Talk to you then. See ya.